Hey everyone, welcome to Speculative Work. I'm James Aaron. I'm a science writer, and this podcast is a diary of my work, goals, fumbles, uh, and let's. So hopefully you don't make the same mistakes that I did or that I do or that I'm about to make. Um, this week I'm talking about, um, or I'm going to be talking about some writing updates, uh, plotting, and specifically character-based plotting. Um, this is episode number two, and this one is, it's happening, so that's the best thing I can say. Um, like I said in the first episode, I am terrible at doing anything that's like a journal, because I think, you know, I get the first iteration of it done, like I sit down and I write in a journal, and then as soon as the next time comes to do it, something gets in the way. And even today, we just had a number of things um, to do during the day, like um, my daughter's first Santa Claus pictures, which was fun, but we had planned all those things in the morning and my son needed a ride somewhere and all this stuff was kind of getting in the way of the time I had set aside to do this diary. So I'm jumping in, I'm doing it now and next week we'll be on episode three. So, you know, last week I talked about resistance and I don't know that I, I gave enough options on how to get past resistance other than just do it. Um, that's not the greatest advice ever, but it's what I have to tell myself. Like, even when I don't feel like doing it, even when things seem to get in the way, um, I have to jump in and do it. So, updates. Um, my last novella that I wrote, Crash in Love, is uh, in editing right now. So I'm waiting to get the edits on back on that. It was 24,000 words, and I'll be going through that next week. Um, the book is coming out pretty shortly. I also need to write a little author bio to go with that and then a foreword um, about why I was motivated to write the story and what inspired me about it. And that's all going to go in the, um, the fan fiction book that's coming out for Aeon 14. And I'm really excited about the work that's in this book. Um, I don't know that it even really fits as fan fiction because it's all canon. Um, it's all been vetted as part of Aeon 14. And the quality of the writing is is great. I think people are really going to enjoy it. I mean, I would really just call it an AN14 anthology. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, Vesta Burning is still doing really well. It was ranked at um, 15,000. Um, you know, the, the highest it got in the store when it came out um, almost three weeks ago now was 1,600. And now it's doing that pretty typical, you know, kind of drop down that, that books do, kind of like a, you know, a coin in water. And if it rests at um, you know twenty five thousand, that'll be great. Um, the book that continues to sell really well is Lissa's Rise, which is our omnibus of books one through three, um, and it's tied to the Audible um, omnibus as well. And it just keeps ticking along, and the sales. I mean, most days I would say the sales on this book, which costs eight dollars and forty nine cents, is better than the other books, which are at lower price points. So I think it's really showing uh, how if you're offering a real value proposition, like people are willing to pay more for that. Um, and they're also getting, you know, cause that's a sale that they're buying it on Audible or they're getting it with their, their Audible credit. And then they're turning around and making the sale um, in addition to that. So I'm, I know that there's some weird math with, um, you know, using an Audible credit and then using a, um, a WhisperSync credit to buy the book along with it. So, Maybe we're not making as much as I would like to be making, um, but consistent sales helps all the other books. So that's um, that's exciting. I mean, for me right now, because I don't have to depend on this um, income, 
I'm more excited about developing a body of work that will, you know, earn income over time, um, which is, you know, what we're doing. The other thing that uh, we're working on audible wise is we're going to do a second omnibus that will be books four and five from Sentience Wars Origins and then vest a second credit if folks listen to, you know, the first omnibus was 35 hours. This next one will probably be somewhere around the same. Um, so that's a really good value for folks. And I think we'll, we'll keep seeing um, good sales from that. Uh, the one really nice thing about it was the, uh, what I would have been paid for Crash and Love, we ended up um, basically just making that my, my piece of paying for the audio because we split the audio costs. Um, so the time that I put into that novella definitely um, was not wasted. So I'm, I'm excited about it too, because that's a great thing. Um, I've started work on Lunar Uprising, which is book one in um, sentient, the first Sentience Wars, uh, which is our next kind of epic um, series that's gonna be happening. And I'll talk about this in the plotting, um, but I worked through the plotting, went over it with Michael, talked about a bunch of different things, and now I've actually started the writing. Um, and it's been, I, I'm not going to say the writing has been hard. It's actually just been, this week has been terrible. <laughs> um, just work has been uh, really demanding. I, so I work for a university and my, my life basically follows the uh, academic schedule when it comes to, you know, more stressful times of the year. Um, and we rolled out a new program, um, this week, which my boss conceived of it last week where we're doing vacation checks of student students' homes while they're gone, um, which is a great idea. And it's something we've always wanted to do, but we just hadn't kind of jumped on it. Well, initially we had 40 students that signed up for it. Um, as of today, we're at 250. Um, so there was just a huge amount of, you know, work that had to be figured out on, you know, verifying the information, setting up, you know, routes, getting the schedule together. All this, all this stuff, you know, communicating with the students, and that's in addition to everything else that that we have to do. Because it's not like work just stops when the students leave. Um, so it's been it's been a busy week, and then I had some travel involved as well, um, where I went had to travel up to a satellite location for the campus. And anytime I travel, like I think maybe I'm going to get work done, like riding maybe in the car, and no, it never happens. So and then I, you know, got to be at work at like five in the morning, and then you don't get back until five in the, in the evening, and then you're beat. Um, and I've had kind of a cold, which is the other thing that's been a little tough. So my energy level has been low and that's, you know, trying to write when I'm tired. I mean, but I still, there were some days, like I got a good 2000 words in, um, both Monday and Tuesday, but then Wednesday I got like 700 Thursday. I think I got a hundred. Um, last night it was like, I knew I'd be able to sleep in this morning. And I think, when did I go to bed? I went to bed at seven 30, I want to say. And the baby woke up, you know, I woke up once with a baby at midnight and I'd had five hours or like four and a half hours of sleep at that point and at least felt pretty rested. <laughs> and then when I went back to sleep, um, I felt, I felt better. So that's been, that's been tough, you know, and it's a time of year when, at least in my part of the world, the Pacific Northwest, it gets dark really early and I, I feel myself being really, really light focused, you know, so if I don't have sunshine and it's dark outside, I just, it's hard to have energy. In fact, today, um, if I was to show you like the outside window, it looks like the netherworld. I mean, we, we had a little bit of sun earlier and now it's just gray. And um, yeah, it's all, it's all resistance. It's obstacles because even sitting here talking, you know, recording, my first thought is like, oh, I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV. Um, so 
<laughs> that's those are all things um, you know to work to work against. But that's okay. You know, it's um, it's all part of pushing forward. And at the end of this month, like I, while I didn't get to put as many words into um, right track, which was what I'm using to track my progress, I still, you know, it's okay. We're we're getting there. And I had assigned in, you know, Sundays off which actually gives me some time to catch up um, depending on how the work week works out. Like I'm actually don't have a lot of things I have to get done tomorrow. Um, we're going to record a podcast for uh, and 14, but otherwise I don't have anything I have to get done um, during the day. So I can potentially do some work tomorrow as well. Um, other things I'm kind of excited about. I, and I may do a review on this later. I don't know, but I, you know, we talked about milestones with um, earning money or whatever, but I bought myself a fancy uh, Spectre, HP Spectre Folio, which is um, a nice leather-bound um, notebook. And it's, it's kind of a two-in-one, you know, tablet slash computer and all that. Um, the typing experience is not um, the greatest, but I usually use a portable um, mechanical keyboard anyway when I type on a laptop. Um, but it's just, uh, I haven't splurged on something like this in a long time. I had a, I used to have a, a MacBook that I think had cost me a grand back in the day because Macs just cost that much. And I sold it um, in 2012. And I just haven't, I've been kind of using beater computers since then. You know, I typically don't spend more than 70 bucks on a computer for any given reason. Um, so it, it was a little bit of extravagance. It was kind of my Christmas present this year and also to, you know, get some spending in on the business before the end of the year, but it's really nice. The leather is really nice. Um, I would, I would recommend it. I think if you can get it on sale or as prices go down next year, um, it would be a, it's a nice thing to have. So that was a, that was a milestone. Um, getting ready for the holidays is definitely in full swing. Um, we just had the baby's first, uh, Santa pictures today. So that was fun. Um, but like I mentioned before, it, it just kind of messed with my, my planned schedule a little bit, but that's fine. Um, health wise, like I said, I've been feeling kind of sick all week and I've also been, you know, just tired, but you just I pushed through it. I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the book, even when I can't sit and write. And so that's something I'll, I'll talk about, um, in a, in a bit, a little bit later, cause I don't want to touch on that. So I think that that's it for updates. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about this time around is plotting. And there's a couple of different levels of plotting that I've been, I've been doing recently. Um, I had to plot, so we're starting another five book series, right? And that's that's daunting. I think um, I still look back on the fact that I wrote a five book series at all, and it kind of blows my mind. Um, one thing I'll say is that I am not a, I have not written like to the epic scope that Michael does with his books. Like with mine, the scope, like even within five five books. Um, the story itself only spanned about six months. Um, I tend to write like once the story begins, I'm pretty close to the timelines, um, except when, you know, characters are traveling through space, we're writing hard science fiction and it take months, takes months to get from any given location to another. Um, but if we get into an action sequence or a sequence in a location and things like that, I tend to be pretty close to real time. Um, and that, you know, pretty quickly fills up space in a plot. So I've tried to be very aware of that this time around. And I've wanted to, I want this new series to be epic in scope. Um, but the thing that uh, Michael Cooper, my, my co-writer had said the whole time is these, we're going to be writing two series. Um, 
Solar Wars One and Solar Wars Two, and they basically kind of track with World War One and World War Two. So this is a way that I'm kind of cheating, um, but I think if you're looking at plotting out a really big story or a series of books, you can't go wrong to use uh, real world events <laughs> because you know a there's nothing new under the sun. And B, um, by the time you at least have a place to start and you can start pinning your events on, you know, maybe what were real world events, it's going to be changed enough by the end that nobody's going to realize that's what you started with as your, you know, as your starting point. And, and one of the things to also remember is that um, real life doesn't have to make sense, but fiction does. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're plotting, things are going to be inherently different. Um, just because you have to, um, you have to do something that makes sense to the reader and for the character, and history doesn't really always work that way. So you can use a historical event or a hist you know historical sequence of events to pin, you know, just kind of hang your plot on that to start with, and then work your way down. I mean, just like you can't edit a blank page, you can't start writing, um, you know, with no outline. Mean, you, you can certainly start writing with no outline. People do that. Um, it's just when I outline, I I need to start somewhere and then I refine as I go. So basically what I've done with um, World War One is kind of pin major events to how that would break down potentially like major plot beats and how those break those would break down for each book. And then um, map that out across five, five books. Um, and then actually what I did was I just wrote titles for the books. And one of the things that I felt is that as soon as the title existed, this really interesting thing happens in my mind where things continue to start to like lay themselves out. Like, you know, what is nebulous becomes more realistic in your, you know, more reality in your mind. Um, and that's from the, the strategic, the big, the really big view. Um, and then looking at it from a character point of view, the, the one thing that I needed to do with this, with this series is we still, we're going to be seeing these, these huge events happening in the background, but we're still seeing it through the filter of a character living through it, right? So I did just very simple things um, for each each book. So like book one is character gets a thing. And then character, you know, book two, character does this. Book three, character does that. Book four. So there's like just the most basic of plot points taking the character through these five books. Um, you know, things that are happening on top of this huge back or in front of this huge backdrop that's taking place um, behind them. And so once I had that, and I'll be honest, I haven't um, mapped out everything that's going to be happening in, um, in the rest of the series. I've kept it you know, pretty vague because it's going to work its way out. I mean, I know that uh, these things start to define themselves as you work your way into it. So I don't want to put too many um, constraints on it to start with. But it'll, um, if anything, I just want to be really aware of my tendency to drill down into minutia and very specific, you know, time sensitive scenes and try and keep pulling that camera back um, as I can. Because again, I want this series to be epic. Um, we're, we're really trying to design it too in some ways to make it more epic. We're actually, I'm writing, you know, my character's stuff or probably two points of view for my pieces of it, about 60,000 words per book. And then Michael Cooper is going to be writing um, one POV. And so that's the other thing. The reason I'm I'm drilling down on you know from that that huge that that really broad focus for the series to book one, and then plotting out book one, I assign space for for Michael's chapters, 
And then as I write, I'll be adding beats to each of his chapters so that he knows what he needs to hit so that his character stuff makes sense with mine. So, so I've gone from that broad view, really thinking about how, I mean, the problem, one of the problems with using World War I as a, um, you know, a template is that there were like 12 players in World War One. you know, 12 countries, 12, you know, four former empires, um, you know, and that's, that's even bigger than what I am trying to do. So I combined some things. I actually, it's funny because my son is a real World War One nerd. So we were able to um, talk about some of the motivations of the players, you know, old empire versus new empire, um, various, uh, you know, strategies or strategic situations that were initially aligned and then realigned as players kind of switch sides and things like that. So um, that's been a lot of fun to kind of map that stuff out. Um, but when I get down to the nuts and bolts of plotting, like, okay, now it's time to actually plot out the book. I'm gonna write 60,000 words. Um, let's get to the nuts and bolts of this. So I used to use Scrivener for this. Um, now we actually have an Aon 14 template we use in Word uh, because there's kind of a sp specific way that we do chapter headings and time and things like that. And I've also learned that you actually can use Word very much like Scrivener if you um, you basically use your style sheets and the outline viewer. And if you you know go ahead and write all your chapters out um, give yourself some space between each chapter as you list them and then make each chapter like a header two. Um, then go ahead and open up your outline and you'll see that all of those are listed um, in the outline. Well, actually I should back up and you shouldn't even say chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, uh, because then it's going to make it difficult to rearrange things in the, um, the outline view. But you can actually, for all those things that were noted with, um, with a style of header two or header one, you can just drag and drop in the outline and move things around. So what I'll do is um, usually like I'll start with untitled, like because we have that header section, um, I'll write untitled. And then I know like what I work back backwards from is how many words I, need, I know I need to write. So I know I need to write 60,000 words. Um, I tend to write chapters of about 2000 words. Those are, you know, tend to be scenes of about 700 words each, like depending how that gets um, spread out. So I'll know that those things need to happen and you know that's what needs to happen. So, so then I break it down. Like I like to write a book in five, typically five parts. Um, but again, all these things are kind of like, they can, they can update or change as you write. But I'll go ahead and just copy, you know, copy one of those headers with untitled and then just paste it, you know, the number of times, boom, 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 until I have, um, you know, for a 60,000 word book, I've got 30 of those chapters and I've taken, um, then I take those, and I break them down into parts so that each part has, um, you know, whatever the math works out to be, um, 12, 12 individual chapters. And, and then I go through, so now I've got all these little untitleds in my, um, uh, you know, in my navigation pane. And, and here's the thing that I think about. So, you know, we've got opening sequence, meet the character, um, we've got like initial problem. Um, we've got uh, rising action to point of no return. Character has to make a decision. Um, and you can do multiple decision points, you know, but you typically have to get to that point of no return where the character has to make a decision. And it's usually better if the decision um, is a decision between uh, kind of two equally bad things. Um, because if it's uh, a decision that is too easy, you know, the reader's going to see that. 
Um, then you can get to, uh, you know, all is lost, everything sucks, um, <laughs> to resolution of some kind, and then move forward into changed world. And so how you break those things down um, within the novel, uh, that's where you can place those within um, those chapters that you, you've laid out there. And I'll usually, in brackets, I put notes within each chapter. Then I'll do something, um, so I kind of lay that out, so I can see, okay, here's how much, and because I know each of those chapters is about 2,000 words, I can see how much how many chapters I have to get those things done. And it really quickly starts to make shape, you know, take shape in my mind as to what, what I need to get done within this amount of time. And for me, it goes from being um, something that like is really nebulous and hard to wrap your mind around, like write a book to really granular, um, write a, write a scene in this location with this character who has this problem and needs to get from this problem to this setup for the next chapter. And that to me is like a much more, um, that's something I can do, right? You know, write a scene that describes this location with the characters do this thing um, and they need to provide this information to the reader. You know, that to me is something that is much easier to write than just sitting down with a blank page and not knowing where you need to go. But those are all kind of back, you know, background in my mind as far as things that need to happen. Just, you know, if we think about the book as building a table, you know, that's the surface of the table. Then we're going to build the legs. Then we're going to build internal supports and, and things like that. Um, but then as I think about the characters, um, I, I kind of fall back on a thing that I heard a talk by, or I went to a talk by Kevin O'Brien, who is a thriller author. And he said that when he plots, he actually starts, like he's, he's a thriller writer. So he, he'll typically start with um, some kind of initial problem, like a murder, um, a theft, a mystery, something of that nature. He introduces his character into that situation and then he sits down with a yellow legal pad and just starts writing, you know, steps that the character takes. And it basically gets to what now, what now, what now, what then, you know, and for everything that raises tension, everything that creates a new problem for the character, you know, what then and what makes what makes sense. Um, because one of the things about like moving from especially in science fiction, like starting with a big idea, like I want to write World War I in space. That's a really, um, you know, rational way of approaching it. It's not necessarily an emotional way of looking at it. And readers, they read for emotion. Um, they want to feel emotion. They want to feel emotion through your character. They want to know what's happening. So you don't want to hide information from the reader um, as they're going through, which is something a lot of stories sometimes do where we conceal information um, and then reveal it at the end and do that as, as kind of a trick to trick people into feeling something. But that's not as effective as giving all the information. You know, there, there are, you can play against a character if the character doesn't know something. But even then, you can like really ratchet things up by maybe the character doesn't know it, but the reader knows that information through another character. Um, and that's a way that you can really build on those emotions, especially as the, um, the reader is feeling things along with the, uh, the character. But then you, you kind of go a step deeper and, okay, it's one thing to say, what then, what then, what then, but then uh, what does the character, what would the character do based on their internal conflicts? And, you know, I don't like tomato soup, but I'm going to have to eat some tomato soup to convince this person that I'm, you know, their friend or, you know, whatever. But um, how can you do this in a way that uh, it's what the character would do or not do? And you don't ever want to get in a situation where you're bending your character to do something that they just wouldn't do. You know, you don't want them to act stupid. Um, 
And then also things that, you know, sometimes things that maybe bend credibility of the reader. Um, you know, I had a character who uh, had to get off a space station um, with their son. They had two space suits. They knew one was leaking and one was pretty good. Um, this character's fatal flaw was that they would always protect their child. So they put their kid in the good space suit and they put on the one that was leaking and jumped off the, uh, jumped into space. Well, readers had a real problem with that, you know, and, and I get it. I totally get it. Um, that was something where I guess I didn't provide enough information about why that character would do that. Or again, it was the kind of thing that, um, a character sacrificing themselves is not necessarily, um, while it might be, you know, true to what that character would do, it doesn't make the reader feel good, <laughs> which, which also gets to something I've been thinking about a lot for this new book, and that's character power. Um, how much power does the character have to, you know, influence their world and also to help the reader feel powerful in any given situation? Because I, I'm writing this new series to be a little bit more, a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more fun. It's still going to have some pretty heavy stuff happening. Um, and the character definitely has some things that she needs to, to work out. But I want these books to be um, a little less uh, grim than the previous series was. So, so I've been thinking about that, you know, and, and the what then, what then, what then for that character. Um, I don't want to completely grind that character under. I don't want the reader to feel like it's a chore to get through something um, with that character. So, so those are things I'm thinking about as well. But something that, uh, you know, as I start writing, because I kind of have this outline um, put together, it allows me to think about what is, what, what's being provided in each chapter. And so if I need to go and add, like I'm actually adding an additional first chapter because after I wrote the, what I thought was gonna be the first chapter and I was really thinking about it, it was too much of a, um, like there wasn't enough action happening. Like I felt it, it was, there was definitely action, but it wasn't the kind of action I thought really established the character from the beginning and also made the character not seem like super grim, even though they're in a pretty difficult situation. Um, so I would say that this kind of plotting for me, um, being able to see the whole, everything laid out in a Word document um, helps me be able to conceive of how the whole story is going to come together. And if I need to punch up certain parts of it, it's easier for me to do that. And then one thing I forgot to say that I, they also do, once I've got all those untitled, those chapter sections in there and they're all, they all say untitled, I go through and I actually just write chapter titles um, that are just random. That, I mean, they're somewhat related to what I know what needs to happen, but they could be song lyrics, they could be, you know, snippets of dialogue, um, you know, things like blue eyes gray or come and get me sucker or, you know, run for the hills, like whatever, something that for me personally is kind of a, a hook that, you know, I've made something out of nothing and it helps jog my imagination to then start hanging, you know, a, a chapter on that. Um, and for me, that's kind of that, uh, that sort of just alchemy of the creative process where even if it's, it's gibberish, it's, well, I wouldn't, I don't use gibberish. I use actual, you know, sentences or phrases or, you know, things that I remember. Um, and it starts to come together. I don't know really how to explain it. It's, I think it's that, that idea of once you have some words on a blank page, the words start to flow. Well, having those names for the chapters, um, not numbering them, just having names for the chapters 
helps um, things start to flow for me anyway. And so that's something I would I would think about. Um, it it definitely kind of helps it feel like the book is a thing that exists, and I'm not just writing forward into the blank, you know, <laughs> the blank extent of the word document. Like there is a skeleton to be filled out, and the skeleton exists. So now it's time to add the musculature and the nervous system. And even if I'm going to add the right arm and then jump out to the left leg, um, that left arm still needs to be made, you know, and as these pieces come together, it becomes that much easier to make the different pieces of it. Um, but again, I, I always do all these things like thinking about the character because readers want a great character. And something I really want to have work in this, in this series is a strong character because Aeon 14 in general has some really strong, amazing characters and people love them. Um, the readers love them. And so I want to be able to create another memorable character that's going to be able to propel readers to the rest of this series. Um, so I'm trying to keep that in mind as well. Um, and again, I don't want it to be, a, I don't want it to be grim. <laughs> it's, this is entertainment. This is, you know, escape fiction. Like I want people to feel good. Um, as they're reading it, even if they do sweat a little bit, um, I still want to feel good. So those are all things I'm thinking about as I do my plotting. And I, um, I think you can do it with Scrivener or Word. Uh, Scrivener, actually what I've kind of run into with Scrivener is just, I find it again, like that conceiving of the book is a thing that exists. Like because I'm working in a template that um, I've used before, um, it's, it kind of makes it seem like the book is a real thing even before it is. And I used to do this when I would write short stories. I would sit down and I would use the, um, oh, I think it's the months template. I can't remember the exact, what the actual title is, but there's a format that you use when you submit to you know professional markets and you can find it on the CEFWA, um, sfwa.org website. Um, and so it, it's a very, it's a template, like you write your name, your address, your phone number, email address, um, you know, Character return a certain number of times, carriage return a certain number of times, write a title, even if you don't have it, but I would usually do some kind of title that would just get my juices flowing, you know, your name, and then down to line one. And just the act of like writing those things, like that was usually enough to kind of propel me into a first line. And then from a first line into a situation, you know, and, and a character, and those things would just get rolling. So with something a lot bigger, like a novel, I found the template um, helps a lot. And Scrivener doesn't necessarily give you the template. Like it, it does allow you to, um, you know, lay out ideas on three by five cards and all that kind of good stuff and, and move it around. But it doesn't quite look like a thing. You know, it's a thing that's in Scrivener, not a thing that's in Word, um, which is the way it's pretty much going to look in, in the ebook or as the printed, um, you know, book comes into existence. So it's something to think about. I mean, it's been helpful for me. Um, and it definitely helps propel me forward when I need to just sit down and do the work to, to do the writing. Um, so yeah, please let me know if you have any questions about that. Um, that's all stuff I'm thinking about as I go into uh, Lunar Uprising. And um, we'll see how it turns out. So I'll keep you updated. Uh, what have I been reading? So this week I've been mostly listening um, to books, listening to my normal um, number of podcasts, you know, the Creative Pen Sell More Book Show, uh, the uh, Career Author Podcast is one of my favorites, um, The Writer's Well. And, uh, but I've also, yeah, I, I listened to Akimbo a lot by Seth Godin, but he had a new release of his book, This Is Marketing. 
And I've been, I've been listening to it. I haven't been able to listen to it as actively as I would like because I've been so tired. I was trying to use it with the sleep timer actually um, when I was going to bed. And I found that I just would go to sleep immediately, which Audible usually does to me anyway, but I couldn't even focus. So I just stopped doing that. Um, so I'm on chapter four. It, it's, it's good. It's the kind of stuff that I did actually order the print copy of the book too because I'm going to need to be able to, to read it and think about it. Um, I think it's some really good fundamental stuff. You know, if we think about first principles, um, as Elon Musk likes to talk about, it's some really good fundamental stuff to think about uh, your audience, to think about your, you know, what your smallest viable audience is and why and how you're trying to connect with them. It's a lot of stuff that if you listen to the podcast, you're probably already aware of, but it's definitely distilled into one one place. So I'll, uh, you know, come back with some thoughts about that once I'm done listening to it. I'm almost done with The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. I've been reading that, which um, is, a, is a book about technologies or ideas that are pretty much made inevitable by technology. Um, and I'm still digesting a lot of that book, but I would, I would recommend it. He's got some ideas that I think are, um, are bound to happen and mean big changes for anybody that's in a creative career. Um, but I like the way that he uh, kind of frames the ideas in the concepts are all verbs. And so you can, for me, it helped me kind of look around at the way things are right now and apply those verbs to what we see. Um, because we're in the midst of, you know, all these changes that it's so hard to actually um, put your finger on where this change is going to end up. And I think it's a, it's a pretty good way of thinking about it. Um, I got his book, What Technology Wants, which is older, but I'm going to read it as well. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. And then, um, I've been, I bought Writing the Breakout Novel by Donald Mass, or Moss, M-A-A-S, because I got some friends that were in a writing group I used to be in that are doing a dinner Sunday night, and we were going to, we're going to talk about that book. So I need to, like I skimmed it, I need to go back and take a look at it again. Um, it's definitely written from a trad pub um, perspective, but it, it mentions ebooks at least, and it, it's kind of aimed at that author that's written their first book or written a couple books. But, um, you know, maybe he hasn't had that, what he calls the breakout novel, which would be like a runaway success. So it's kind of getting to that James Patterson novel of what is, um, you know, what are the characteristics of books that have like really taken off? And I got some thoughts about that, um, which I think this book might kind of be in opposition to Seth Godin's ideas about the, um, you know, the minimum viable audience. But, uh, it's still interesting. And I, I just like to be able to you know, talk about it with my friends. So I hope we've actually all, um, we've all read it, or at least I'll, I'll get familiar enough with it to be able to, you know, listen and nod um, thoughtfully. But uh, yeah, I'm excited because we're going to have a, a dinner tomorrow night with um, some friends of mine who are also writers, um, kind of pursuing a lot of different, uh, different things. Um, and this kind of gets to something I wanted to mention about Kevin O'Brien. Um, Kevin O'Brien's a thriller writer. Um, I'm a science fiction writer. But I have I learned a lot from the talk that he gave and his ideas about plotting and character. And this writing group I'm going to tomorrow night has a, a mix of writers. We've got science fiction. We have literary. We've got um, urban fantasy, romance. And I've learned so much from writers in other genres. And I would really recommend that um, if you have an opportunity to uh, you know be friends with other writers or you don't have to read in the genre, but because I've been in these writing groups where I've read, you know, tried to read critically or to help people with their work, um, trying to understand, like, I don't, 
when I first started, like I didn't understand the, the expectations of the romance genre or even the very specific niches within the romance genre. And like one author that was in my group was a women's fiction um, writer. And so I learned, I learned a ton about what the expectations were, how to like build emotion, how to like do subtle romance and subtle character interactions. And really the way that she read, I learned a ton um, about her expectations going into um, a book, you know, and she would say, like, as soon as you've got two characters in a room together, like she wants to know what their relationship is, you know, or as me, I'm more focused on like, what kind of guns are they carrying? You know, like, how are they going to get to the, to the shuttle to get off the station? And like, that's not the thing that, you know, she would be interested in. And so I, I just le have learned a ton about that. So I think that if you have the op you know, the opportunity to do that, I would definitely recommend it. Um, don't just surround yourself with writers in just your genre, or if you're literary, like definitely, um, you know, genre has a lot of interesting things happening um, that I think can help literary as well. And we don't, you know, I've talked to people who've gone to creative writing programs and, you know, had genre stories like thrown back in their face, which maybe that's hyperbole. I don't know. Um, it seems like that's not the world we live in now. But um, there's a lot to be learned from all these different, uh, you know, genres. And especially like when it comes to marketing and selling books, romance authors are, are miles ahead. Like they, uh, streets ahead, as Chevy Chase would say in community. Um, there's so much to learn because they're the ones who are making the sales and they're the ones who are on top of all the changes in the industry. Um, so romance writers are definitely good people to listen to and find out like how they're selling books and you know what their big challenges are right now when it comes to connecting with audience. Because yeah, they're selling the most books, but they also have the most competition. Um, and so they have to be really um, specific and careful about what they do. You know, And the demands, like all this stuff about writing a you know, publishing a book a week and things like that, that these new publishing groups are doing that all started in romance because their readers are, you know, voracious and have been for years. You know, just think about the Harlequin romance section in any used bookstore and how there are people who just come in, you know, buy 12 books one for a week or whatever, 20 books, take it out in a paper bag, read all of them and then go back and cycle through, you know, and there's, there's whole business models with used bookstores that are just around like the churning, of romance books and people will reread stuff too. Like they just work their way through the whole section, you know, paying two to $3 a book every time, you know? Um, and so that we used to see in used bookstores has basically just moved into Kindle unlimited. Um, and, and so that's, that's a lot, a lot to be learned there. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that dinner. Um, it should be a lot of fun. So um, I will uh, keep you posted on that. So my goals for next week, I, Really just want to be continue to be consistent with the writing. Um, got, you know, just words to get down. Hopefully it'll be a less busy week at work. We're going into the holiday break. So students are all gone. We're still going to be continuing um, that project I was talking about. But um, we pretty much have it, like, in hand on how to do it. So now it's just a matter of making sure people show up <laughs> to, do, to do the work. So going into the holidays, I may, be, I may end up being able to take um, some days off around Christmas. So... That might equate to some writing time. We'll see how the baby is feeling. Um, and I think I'm, I've got a couple of video ideas that I want to do. So I might try and get that done, done during the break. And then I didn't do a reading um, on Facebook Live this week, but I am going to try and do one uh, next weekend. So I'll find something to read on Facebook Live. Um, I did a reading last week of the first chapter from Vesta Burning, and, and it was fun. I got a lot of really good interactions. And um, it's... It's difficult to read while you're seeing uh, comments float up, um, you know, which I think Facebook Live is really designed to have 
that interaction with people while you're um, while you're talking, and that's obviously not what you do as a you know when you're reading <laughs> reading work, um, but it's still neat. And then uh, you know once you have that video on Facebook on the Facebook page, like it continues to get interaction even after it's not live. So so that's that's a cool thing. And then I was actually able to download that from Facebook and I put it on the um, the YouTube channel as well. So just going to build more content there. You know, I added it to the podcast channel. Um, so those things are just, you know, ongoing. So it's stuff I want to keep doing, um, you know, from week to week. So anyway, thank you for listening and I wish you happy writing. And um, if you have any questions, please just drop me an email. That's the best way to get hold of me. Or I'm also on uh, Facebook or the and 14 fans Facebook group. Um, I'm always happy to answer any questions that I can. So until next week, I'm James S. Aaron, and uh, you can check me out on jamesaaron.net or speculative.work is the website. And I will see you next week. Bye.